0: Hi everyone and welcome to Paydirt, a Penn State football show, along with former Penn State and NFL defensive back Justin King. I'm Tom Hannafin. This show is brought to you by our sponsors Funk Brewing, the official craft beer partner of Paydirt. We're big fans of Funk Citrus IPA and Silent Disco IPA. This month, keep an eye out for the Raspberry Bikes Shandy and the Project Haze 6 Imperial IPA. But don't forget... Our official beer, the Paydirt IPA, is available right now in Funk's Tap Rooms. Funk has so many great beers to choose from at their tap rooms in Emmaus, Elizabethtown, in York, in Pennsylvania. You can find a variety of Funk Brewing beers at your favorite beer distributor and grocery store. Visit funkbrewing.com to learn where and how you can get their fantastic products. Must be 21 years or older to purchase. Please drink responsibly. Also, Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. And as your continued source for all sports wagering info, BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's the NFL, Major League Baseball's World Series, the NBA, the NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V to receive your rewards. Pater is presented by Bet Online where the game starts. Also, we invite you to head to shop.believe.com. That's shop.b-l-e-a-v.com and search Pater for our two t-shirts. One is the official show logo over the heart. It comes in white, navy blue, and black. And the other is a navy blue t-shirt. It has the Pater word mark over the heart and on the back circa the 2012 Penn State football season. It is Matt McGloin's name and number. It's very fitting as this season of Nittany Lion football marks the 10-year anniversary of that team. Again, head to shop.believe.com. That's shop. B-L-E-A-V dot com and search paydirt. For our two t-shirts. I want to thank you all for tuning in on ESPN Radio State College as well as checking out the podcast version of this show presented by the Believe Network, which is available now on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Tune in and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, hit us up on Twitter and let us know what you think of the show at ESPN Radio 1037, at QB 11 and at Tom Hannafin. We are on the heels, Justin, of a disappointing but at the same time mildly inspiring loss if I can put it that way uh to the Ohio State Buckeyes uh it was a score of 44 to 31 I know on paper that doesn't look great I know on paper a lot of the statistics people will take away from this game maybe don't look great for uh Penn State's offense for Sean Clifford in particular Uh, and you and I were talking about it before we came on here that you might look at CJ Stroud's numbers and think that he had a really good day but the score the stats really don't tell the story of this game what's your initial takeaway uh from this loss for penn state
1: well my initial takeaway is like if, thanks again for having me on but my initial takeaway is it's a matchup game when it comes down to football right it's a one on one game and i think throughout the the game we saw the different players just make plays whether it was uh parker washington on the play makes a breaks a couple tackles and takes off or zaki weekly at the beginning breaking up the uh the bubble pass and then like at the end you see uh Cade stover make a crazy block where t- uh, block two guys split up a, a run to go you know like a 40-yard run at the end of the game and guys just making plays and you can't with that being said jt their defensive uh player for ohio state just kind of took over the game just making plays at critical times to where you know it doesn't seem like that's what um It doesn't seem like, you know, the whole stats tell the whole story because it's individuals making plays. So that was my takeaway from the game.
0: Yeah, uh, defensive end number 44 for Ohio State, JT uh, Tui Malawa, uh, if I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, was monstrous uh, throughout this game. Uh, Let's let's focus on uh, what was really the backbreaker for Penn State. If there aren't four takeaways by Ohio State, Penn State's in this game. Uh, When you look at the different turnovers that Penn State had, three interceptions and a fumble, um, all of them get attributed to Sean Clifford. I I think you can argue that they're not all exclusively Sean Clifford's fault, like a a, a pick that's thrown blatantly into coverage, something like that. Um, What did you think of the turnovers?
1: I think at the beginning, right, you start off with the two quick ones. I think that's tough from just any player to come back from when it's, you know the batted uh ball and different things of that nature. So I mean some of it does fall into the quarterback, but like it didn't I don't think those were the reasons that the game got out of hand, if that makes any sense. Because like again, the players were it kind of it came back and the Catron Allen kind of controlled the the ground um with the downhill running game and different things of that nature, you know, and just a very efficient run game. So they felt like they had a, a sense, but it goes back to again the matchups and players making plays and their players were making plays on the, on the defensive side of the ball with the turnovers. Cause I mean, JT, Zach Harrison, and all those guys, they were making plays. Like we, like every play that's drawn up is always having uh, you know, to account for one player. And they had that ac- exceptional player to make those plays. So I kind of lean on that a lot of the times that you saw today.
0: The front four of Ohio state was exceptional. And that's something that, you know, that that's as advertised when it comes to Ohio state and their secondary. Um, I, I thought, altogether played well but gave up definitely a lot of openings uh, to Penn State in the passing game uh, the tight ends continue to be utilized by Mike Yersich. Um you mentioned Parker Washington really breaking out Mitchell Tinsley getting involved in the game um, the tailbacks I thought you know Katron Allen is he separating himself just a little bit from Nick Singleton
1: well, yeah, it's funny that you say that because I remember I was on pay dirt before and we talked about the two running backs and that was somebody that I was excited about. And just even just a little story. I remember coming up in the spring practice and talking to J1 Sider and just talking about Nick Singleton, how he's doing. And he stopped me immediately. It was like, you "Gotta recognize Catron Allen is a, a good player. And that was very evident from the initial uh, game, just the way it gets downhill. Very fluid runner, just and and powerful for a freshman. A lot of times you see the physical development happen a little later with those guys to be that physical. So yeah, with him, I don't know if he's separating himself. I think it's just a, a quality two head monster that is being created at Penn State.
0: And considering they're true freshmen, there's just so much that can be developed with Singleton and Allen. So I'm really excited about the future there. But I think Catron especially uh, shined in this game, and I think Nick Singleton is going to continue to mature in a really exciting way. Uh, And we talked about the running game, you know, 33 total rushes uh, and then 47 pass attempts for Sean Clifford. Is that the recipe for success for Penn state?
1: I mean, it wasn't the recipe for success today, right? Even with an efficient run game and different things like that, I think you just kind of, you throw in the turnovers that kind of skews things a little bit, Um, but they have explosive players right on the outside with Parker Washington. You got, uh, Lambert and Tinsley, they were making plays at the end of the day. And then a lot of times those turnovers are nullifying things and they capitalize on the turnovers as well. So it's like a short field and different things of that, that. So the flow of the game was in the Buckeyes favor. And I think the Penn state was playing extremely well. Like you said, guys making plays on the, on the, on the outside. And, and even when we talk about the play calls, like it was like a controlled game, I think throughout the whole time and much kudos to the Penn state defense for just playing at a short, Field a lot of times and you know just covering up that nosebleed of the run game that they had last week even though there were some splits at the end but that's kind of how the game's going on days
0: the offensive line you know you talked about you know stopping that nosebleed so to speak um you know the the offensive line for uh, for penn state there were there were positives and then there were also a lot of negatives you talked about uh Tui Malau, uh, who just bulldoze the likes of Bryce Eppner and then uh Chris late in the game, you know, this was just a, a bad matchup, so to speak. And then, you know, the, the, the term, you know, good matchup, bad matchup kind of comes to mind thinking about the loss to Michigan. That was clearly just a bad matchup for Penn State. The strengths of the Wolverines against the strengths of Penn State. It just did not line up well for the Nittany Lions. This game, despite the gap in talent between Ohio State and Penn State, the matchup seemed a little bit better and you can speak to that better than I can because you've been in those film studies I mean what did you see
1: well sure I think when you talk about that I think when you talk about Michigan's matchup versus a Penn State matchup is a level of just I guess size and power versus speed and length with Penn State not that we're not big but I think Ohio State's built similar just a little bit more similar as a equal matchup in terms of speed on the outside and the run game with them being able to fill at the uh middle of the run game and just it's just a much equal attack like we talk about the receivers and the dbs at penn state it's pretty even the running backs and different things of that nature but it ohio state isn't built to completely i guess control the front line even though they were making plays with zach harrison and jt and even on the offensive line and different things of that nature but still built on speed and attacking and things of that nature so when we talk about matchups, I think that's what we saw today was just, again, players making plays. We get a lot of stuff leans onto JT, making a lot of those, you're talking about two interceptions, uh, sacks that were critical times, right? We talk about plays in sports. It's not always just isolated, whether it's uh, just a random play in the first, first quarter. It's like, if it's a third down play, it, that's like the, the tackle between Kalen King and the, and the uh, bubble screen. Like that's a critical plays. that key weekly. Like those are, Possession changing plays, right? So that's like the same thing that they had in those different critical points where they turned the ball over and capitalized. So even with that, I don't think, I don't even think that they were outmatched at all, to be completely honest. Today, they looked, it didn't look like there was, a, it didn't seem to be a talent gap out there, if I would just be completely honest. I mean, obviously, there's turnovers and different things of that nature, but I didn't see a talent gap.
0: Well, and considering Penn State was in this game for about three quarters and change. I mean, I'm pers- I was personally astonished going into halftime that the game was where it was and then to be really contending with Ohio State deep into the third quarter, into the fourth quarter. Personally, this is a little bit of an astonishing performance. And like I said, the stats do not tell the full story. You really have to watch this game because Penn State hung in there with the number two team in the country. Do you- Were you expecting a performance like this considering the last two games of Michigan and Minnesota?
1: Well, I think when you brought it up earlier, I, I like recruited a lot of these guys coming up. So I think the matchups, I understood where there were, might be weaknesses and different things of that nature, but it's a matter of attacking those weaknesses and having it. So with Penn State's defensive personnel and Manny's approach to, you know, the, the blitzing attack, you saw the, the double um defensive back blitz on the fourth down play where Johnny Dixon makes a play and things of those and of that nature. Like those are different things that didn't always happen before when We talk about the skill Uh, Comparison between Penn State and Ohio State. And I think we saw that kind of line up today. And obviously, again, special players make special plays. I I keep saying JT, uh, I'm not going to mess up his last name. It's so much easier. JTT might
0: really cover us. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Making plays because, I mean, I'm a firm believer just from a football philosophical approach is that talent matters, right? Like, and talent acquisition is the key to a lot of things, especially in college football. And I think that's, we see that today because. Again, the play to Parker Washington is not the greatest play call ever. It's a player making a play, makes a catch, breaks two tackles, and he goes there. And that's a, this thing when you talk about these top echelon teams, I mean, matchups, it's finding the matchups and finding the players, right? Because football is all about numbers and angles. Every play we can look at to the different things of, up. Oh, they have a matchup win and angles and numbers. And that's kind of what we've seen today, right? It's just just Marvin Harrison having a day with just, you know, finding the zone, uh, Throughout the thing, give big kudos, kudos to uh, CJ Stroud for finding them throughout the game. And, and, it, and, it, and this is with both sides playing well, like playing good football all around, all around. So it was, it was fun football to watch. It was just those differentiating, differentiating things comes down to special players making plays. So.
0: You were talking there for a moment about uh, Manny Diaz, and I do want to get to Marvin Harrison Jr. here in just a moment because he was phenomenal. But uh, Manny Diaz, uh, you and I were texting about it during the game, especially in the first half and into the second half. Uh, I really liked what his play calling was. It was creative. It was mixing things up after the snap. A lot of different blitzes that – that blindside blitz uh, to end uh, the first half was really spectacular, a nice risk to take that. Um, What did you think of the way Manny Diaz called this game?
1: I mean, I'm a I'm a defensive guy, right? And I love the aggressive just approach, whether they're playing zero coverage, man to man, a lot of times. And that goes back to we talk about time acquisition and personnel, that goes back to having the back end that can cover guys and make plays and aggressive. We always talk about, you know, lockdown you, you know, me talking about lockdown you in the secondary just covering, but they're a great tackling defense and on the back end with a lot of speed. When you see what Abdul, uh Abdul Carter running around, and you know, the, like again, stop the run and different things of that nature. This opens up the ability to bring the the exotic blitzes for things that that nature. That's what we didn't see at Michigan because when like, when you when you can't stop the run, you can't bring the exotic blitzes and different things of that nature. So it's a matter of matching the personnel up with the matchups, with the with the play calls, and like having that attack. And that's what I think he was able to do again today. But again, those things get nullified when players make plays. <laughs> It, Justin,
0: you would understand this. Obviously, the, the changing things after the snap, it's a fairly complex thing to do, and that is not always easily absorbed at the college level. It's frequent uh, at, the, at the level of the National Football League. How difficult is it for these, you know, I'll call them kids, 18 to 22 year olds, to grasp that concept of show, uh, show one thing, do another thing, and then maybe you're having multiple coverage schemes within the same defensive play call?
1: Well, that, that that's 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 very uh, that's a good question. I would say that James and his staff do, does a does do a great job with preparation and just how they get the guys out, whether it's through walkthroughs and just a, it's actually a, similar to an NFL schedule. I mean, without care hours or anything like that, compliance don't go after them. But the way that they use their time in implementing installs and things of that nature is very similar to the NFL, and that's something that I noticed when I worked there as well. So was like. Even being able to implement those different type of defenses and ask the players to do that, it shows that the depth in the type of football players that they have on the roster and the preparation that you know James has kind of organized around implementing those things.
0: I'm really excited to have you on this show in particular just because uh, Joey Porter Jr. has been a topic of conversation, not only on this show. I, I know at times I've personally been critical of him, but you always hear the national conversation that this guy is a first round pick. Bonafide first round pick, one of the best corners in the country. There are still those moments, Justin, where you'll see penalties, you'll see mental mistakes that you you can say everybody has those, but they come at very critical times with Joey. What did you think of the way he played against Ohio State?
1: I mean, you talked. We talked about it earlier, right? Like it's not just about moments in the football games, but it's like those critical moments and what you do in those critical moments. I think Joey played a, a played a solid game, right? Obviously, Margaret Harrison had a great day, and sometimes the stats can be like, oh, he did that against Joey, but they weren't one on one all throughout the field. He was running big dipper routes, what we like to say, like number two sits down and running and in, in, in route and different things of that nature. But I think Joey played a solid game. Not too much action, and obviously, he had some mistakes. But that's the life of a corner at the end of the day, so like that's from my standpoint, players are going to make plays like when you're playing these top echelon teams, you have to know that things are going to happen, like Johnny Dixon getting beat earlier in the game, but at the same time, you have to make it up with Kalen making plays, like Wheatley making plays, and just that's how that's how it has to operate. So to get back to Joey, I mean, yeah, I just think corners they they lapse at times and things of that nature and But I think he played a solid game today, personally.
0: You just can't be perfect on every single play. I understand that. But I I think Joey Porter Jr. has been outstanding most of the season. I'm very curious to see how he does the rest of the way. Um, One thing that was brought up, Justin, uh, I was doing the Blue-Eyed Illustrated live postgame show after Ohio State's uh, victory against Penn State. And one of the questions that was brought up was, why wouldn't Joey Porter Jr. be just assigned to Marvin Harrison Jr. the entire game?
1: Well, you would talk about defensive schemes. If you're doing something uh, like that's your philosophy throughout the whole year, you play quarter quarter halves or you're a cover three team. I mean, who's to say Joey doesn't move around all the time? Like, not saying that he doesn't, but like that you don't put a player in a position to kind of always move around if that's not what the defensive coordinator calls or if that's not what the strength is or if the, if Ohio State's shown in film that. Wherever they move, they make move him around. So he's getting off. So he's not getting pressed or moving them to different positions. Because you got to remember, Ohio State has an offensive coordinator as well that has that knows where their offensive weapons are. So sometimes when you identify and do that thing where it's like corner one, cover uh, receiver number one. In college football, you got a lot of more, you got a lot more time on the play clock. Hashes are spread out a little bit, di- like a little bit wider. So like that distance from running side to side between the game and it being faster pace, you're putting your corner in a difficult position sometimes if, he, if it's not absolutely necessary. And with the depth that Penn State has, I would think going into the game that they can maneuver and put different coverages around uh, different players. Again, that's how I would approach it. Marvin Harrison, he's a great player, but at the same time, I mean, the speed, like him scaring us speed-wise over the top and different things of that nature, I think you can still play your defense against them with the talent that Penn State has on the back end.
0: How old do you feel knowing that Marvin Harrison Jr. was matched up against Joey Porter Jr.? Because I'm 33, and that aged me quite a bit.
1: <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a cool it's a cool thing to see, right? It is really cool to see. You know that knowing then when they were getting recruited and seeing that uh, now they're at the at the top game, and you can always project them when they're coming out. Like, oh, there's the legacy kids, and are they going to be as good as their parents were? And it's like, oh no, it kind of checks out a little bit. <laughs> you know then- what I mean? So. It's pretty it, it's cool to see. And, you know, and them both, they're both playing at a high level in college football. So when well,
0: Donald Driver's son, Christian Driver, plays for Penn State. So it's plenty of those legacy guys. And it just, you know, just reminds you where you are in life. It's, it's good about humbling uh, uh, in story. that respect. One thing that was especially brought up after this game, um, there were some certain game management decisions that were. Head scratchers, I would say, Uh, especially there was one in the third quarter, if you recall, uh, fourth and two for Penn State, I think roughly at Ohio State's 25 yard line. Penn State opts to go for it and does not get it in an obvious running formation. Ohio State just blew right through the line of scrimmage and took down the ball carrier. And the question is, why not take the points in that situation? And you look, you know, now you can look back and I was like, well, the three points really made the difference. Uh, would it have been a momentum swing? Uh, would Jake Pendergrew have even made the field goal considering uh, his struggles in the second half? Um, when you saw that decision there in the third quarter, what did you think of it?
1: I, when I when I see different decisions, whether it's on fourth down or just critical uh game management things in football i don't really lean onto like you say like the analytics but more so probabilities and game theory right like so how is the game flowing what's exactly happening because if you're playing a team that's not as good as you or if it's a very tight matchup and things are flowing a certain type of way sometimes it's not really a matter of what the numbers say or taking the points it's like okay we have to win right now or keep this drive going to get seven and there's a level of game theory different things where you like kind of scale back that those situations are always going to be hindsight 2020, but in the mode or in the in the situation, like you have to call it. The same way Ryan Day called his his uh his pass play on fourth down in the red zone going in. At that time if they would have come back, it would have looked like that's crazy. They blitzed them and it fumbled and it turned over and all these different things. But the way game theory goes, that's what's so great about sport at the end of the day. So I'm not really the one that type that criticizes on calls like that, but it's more of being consistent with the identity of like how we approach the game, because I think it shows more of the confidence of the coach and what it is. Because as a player, when coaches start going for and fourth and two and different things of that nature, when you got a run downhill running game with Nick Singleton and Casey Allen, you start to feel like, okay, coaches believe in me. This is how we're going to operate, and it does galvanize a different thing in your team when you're playing a, a team like Ohio State.
0: Are you a fan of rivalries? Are you a fan of smack talk? Do you like to stand out from the crowd at tailgates? If so, head over to Smack Apparel and check out what their team is geared up for this football season. Their Let There Be White tea is the perfect gear for those famous whiteout games at Beaver Stadium. Or get straight to the point with the worst tee. For all the Ohio State haters out there, Smack Apparel makes the gear that will have everyone asking where you got it. They have the must-have tees for all your teams, including pro football, baseball, basketball. Every fan is covered. Head over to their website, SmackApparel.com, and use the promo code PAYDIRT at checkout for 10% off. Again, that's SmackApparel.com, promo code Pay Dirt at checkout. Why wear boring when you can wear smack? Are you looking for undeniably good hair and beard care? Then Maestros Classic is perfect for you. Maestros has beard washes, beard oils, beard butters, plus hair gels and pomades. It's one brand for every man. Visit maestrosclassic.com. That's M A E S T R O S classic.com and use our promo code PayDirt15 paydirt15 at checkout for 15% off your order. Maestro's Classic, crafting a better you. As a defensive player, you know, uh, an attempt on fourth down by the offense, and you don't get it, or there's a concern about the kicker. We talked about Jake Penninger, uh, while on paper looked, you know, good today. Um, two missed field goals uh, there on, on a setup, uh, a bunch of penalties. I'm blanking at what point in the game it was there in the second half, but How worried does that make you as a defensive player that you have to be perfect?
1: I mean, I think that's always a a fearful thing, right? To even play defense being fearful, like, right? Because, like, there's a level of the best defenses playing without an absence of fear. That's how they can run fast and react to different things. So, like, that's where it also comes to making plays because you know at one point, you're going to get beat, you're going to, you might miss a tackle, but you have to take advantage of the opportunities to turn the ball over, right? And that's what Ohio State was able to do, even though Parker Washington had a great game. Like Parker Washington and uh, Marvin Harrison had, uh, you can argue that they were, it was, they were both very impressive, but obviously we're going to talk about Marvin Harrison because of the, the the assist from JT and how the, the turnovers go and like that actually impact in the score. So, I mean, It's that's just kind of how I see that.
0: It's obviously disappointing to drop games to Michigan and Ohio State. And you understand the gravity of those games. You understand the gravity of playing at home, especially and trying to take out a team like Ohio State, number two team in the country. Um, But at the same time, like I was saying earlier on, this is not as much of a demoralizing loss as the Michigan loss was. Um, if anything, there's reason for positivity coming out of this. What do you believe?
1: Sure. I think the Michigan loss was demoralizing because it was a physical, it was a physical loss, right? It was like something where it's like, you can't really do anything. Like we were talking about play calls, this, like this player doing this, we can highlight Joey, maybe medicine up here, or you can highlight different things Well, you can't stop the run up the middle. Like that is demoralizing because it's like, like we talked about earlier, like a nosebleed where it's like, all right, I can't really do anything else until I get my nose to stop bleeding right and today we came out of the game and I think it was very easy to pinpoint where things went wrong the turnovers like okay the turnovers are here everything else if this is the number two team in the country everything else seemed to line up players make plays and that's kind of what happened but they made the critical plays in certain areas and but everything else across the board was I, I would say like fairly equal
0: all uh, the turnovers that you referenced, you know, as I talked about it in regards to the statistics of this game, if you look at the box score, you can accredit all the turnovers to Sean Clifford and you really can't pin them all exclusively on Sean, you know, look at the first interception, uh, you can have some sort of discussion about. That Should he have gotten the ball away in a different manner so that the defensive lineman doesn't block it, but then it's just such a freak thing. It bounces in the right direction. It gets picked off. Okay, you can't put that entirely on Sean. The second interception, uh, is that Katron Allen making a mistake in terms of running his route, or was that Sean Clifford making a mistake and throwing it right to the aforementioned JT? Then there's the strip sack later on in the game where, again, JT just absolutely crushes Bryce Effner and ultimately gets the ball as Clifford's trying to get rid of it. So, I mean, at least he's making the attempt to get rid of it and has not got slippery fingers. And then the final interception, again, JT just throws Bryce Effner into Sean Clifford, has to get it away, and there's another turnover. So I'm not trying to necessarily be an apologist for Sean Clifford or defend him uh, to. Vehemently, I thought he had a good game, but not his best game. And uh, it was said multiple times on the broadcast, Justin, that he had to have his best game in order for Penn State to beat Ohio State. That didn't happen. Uh, but when you hear the people that continue to call for Drew Aller to replace Sean Clifford, how do you respond?
1: Um, I think that's I think that's a natural response. And 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 we talk about just the quarterback's responsibility. It is their job to resp- to protect the football, right? Whether it's a blindside hit or Getting the ball over the defensive line, but it's not just like like you said. It's it's not just being careless with the football and just throwing it into triple coverage and things of that nature. I think that's a that's a talent management thing for the football program, right? At this point, when you have the number one pro, number one quarterback that came in, and you you have a you know a fifth or sixth year quarterback, and these type of things happen, um, I would just say you stayed the course at this point, right? Until the point you just kind of make that decision of which way you're going to go for your program. I mean. I think it's as simple a decision as that, to be completely honest with you, because it's a natural thing, especially if you turn over the ball quick at the beginning of the game. And that's kind of been uh, a pluttering thing on the offense where sometimes it's been, you know, like we talk about turnovers like that is a credit to the that's accredited to the quarterback. So I don't think the concern or the voices are unwarranted, but I think that comes down to a talent management internally and just how to manage him getting reps and things of that nature and moving forward for the best advancement of the team. I'm sure that they see him on a daily basis and they'll make the right adjustments as they see fit.
0: And on top of that, Drew Allard needs to stay healthy because Sean Clifford, unfortunately, has a track record of not being healthy. And those are the reasons right. that we've seen Drew Allard thus far this season. Uh, but when you look ahead at the rest of this season now, you know people have been calling for Drew Allard to be the starter for a number of weeks now. And listen, I've been a supporter of that at times. But now that I've seen what I've seen the last few weeks from Sean Clifford, I, I don't feel that way anymore. I absolutely think Sean Clifford needs to be the starter the remainder of the season because now you have the possibility of finishing up the year 10 and 2. It's a very real possibility at Indiana versus uh, Maryland at Rutgers home against Michigan State. And a New Year's Six bowl game could potentially be Penn State's, which. I don't think a lot of people would have expected coming into this season. Again, they were 500 between 2020 and 2021. Um, what was maybe your expectation coming into the season in terms of a possible record? And now that that 10 and 2 is plausible, how do you feel?
1: To be completely honest, I mean, it, it reminded me of a little bit back when, when we kind of came to Penn State. Where there was like certain holes in the in the. And the roster that once they were filled, you know, it, it would kind of take off. We talked about last year, they didn't have any 100-yard rushers. They had two prime-time tailbacks come in. You had your six-year quarterback come back. I had an inkling with Lockdown U that the defense was going to be pretty good and, and solid. Even up front, like just historically, Penn State plays good defense. So I don't think there's ever a time when Penn State can just get a couple players and it's like we're here to – it's Big Ten championship time. So with that being said, I, I mean – I was a, I was expecting this, and I've seen the talent that they've been collecting, and just how they recruit up there in terms of size, speed, athleticism, and you know, bringing Manny Diaz with the, the secondary. I mean, I'm, I was expecting, I was expecting this. The question mark, like you said, were the freshman running backs, and the way that they're performing, and the guys playing on the outside with, uh, like Parker Washington and, and uh, Tinsley. I guess it's, it's encouraging, right? And, yeah, I mean, I was there. I've seen success at Penn State, so like I, I expect, I'm expecting this.
0: <laughs> um, it, you've had a hand in recruiting uh, and assisting, you know, players uh, getting to Penn State uh, after a while. And one thing that you know a lot of fans are pointing to is the, the comments uh, from James Franklin from back in 2018. Uh, ironically, after a loss to Ohio State, you know, we've been a good football program. We've been a great football program. We're not an elite football program. In your opinion, what is the gap between Penn State and a Michigan and Ohio State, uh, you know, a top four or five team in college football?
1: That's, that's a great question. I think the, the, between the two, I think the gaps are different between Michigan and Ohio State. Um, when you just talk about Michigan, I think there's an identity thing with Michigan where they, 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 there's a, a building process where Jim Har- Harbaugh comes back and he built a physical football team, right? You either build your team to be big, fast, and strong, or it's like speed, depending on however you build it. So I think when you're talking about that and when James made those statements back then, we're coming out of the, the sanction era. Right, where you're, you're getting a, your your defensive lineman might be a little smaller, your offensive linemen might be a little smaller, and the skill guys there's a dime a dozen. So like filling those gaps. So even after we played them in 2017 or 18, you know we had Saquon Barkley, Barkley, who was the best player on the field. So like the gap wasn't there, but if you looked and stacked across the field across talent, maybe they they had they had the upper hand on maybe 13 of the 22 positions. Right, so. And when you talk about um, that's Ohio State, but that's the same thing with, I mean, with Michigan, we talked about just the physicality of how they build it. But I mean, I think it comes down to just continue to stack talent and interior, I think is the biggest thing. Cause when we talk about uh, like the game last week where it was unmatched, the thing that showed up was the interior play like on defense and things of that nature. And today that wasn't really an issue, but at the same time, it did show up on the offensive side of the ball. you brought up Bryce Effner giving up those two sacks and like turn over uh, the ball and, you know, their defense alignment making the big plays. I think just internally, just that internal piece of a football team is extremely important. But I think from the talent standpoint on the ex- exterior or the perimeter for Penn State, I, I think that gap is closed. But I, th- but we're back to football, so everyone gets cute about the half line air raid, but at the end of the day, you have to run the ball, and it's like physicality to it. So I think that is still coming along.
0: Yeah, it's never sexy to talk about the offensive line or, or the interior defensive line. It's fun to talk about pass rushers, et cetera, but for the most part, if you can't throw bodies off the line of scrimmage one way or the other, you're not going to win football games. And that does continue to be uh, an issue for Penn State. And we'll see if they're able to close that gap in regards to recruiting as the years go by. Uh, but the one positive thing I, th- I take away from this game is the same thing, Justin, and I felt after the Minnesota game is that this felt like night and day from what you saw against Minis- uh, Michigan, uh, rather, in regards to the defense. Now, you talked about Uh, The flaw in the matchup in that Michigan just ran the ball down Penn State's throat, Manny Diaz just wasn't able to do a lot of the things that he wanted to do in terms of being creative, Uh, blitzing, a lot of wild exotic coverages, etc. They just didn't have the chances to do it. This defense, in the span of about two weeks, seems to have gotten much better about tackling multiple hats on the ball carrier, uh, very good assignment, discipline football. Uh, is it something that for you watching the team through the season, have you seen the light switch go off that quickly? Like I did.
1: Well, yeah, you're right. When we talk about Michigan and them giving up the plays, they didn't have, we, we get down back to that personnel, but they didn't have chop Johnson, their, their best defense alignment as well. So like when those Robinson, different holes yes, open up and things of that nature, like i coming back is a, is a big, is a big uh, addition to the team. But I do think it matters that Penn state has an extremely fast and long defense in terms of just personnel that they have out there. You got Abdul, uh, Carter, who's just, I mean, he's, 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 he's freaky, right? Like I've been around yeah. Michael Parsons to play with no- Navarro Bowman, Sean Lee, Paul Lesney, and he has that same makeup as those guys. So, and you see that moving around Penn state just historically plays good defense and you could just see it from the, even on the back end, you've seen Caitlin King and Wheatley and even Joey Porter, like those, and, uh, Jair, those guys, those guys tackle, those guys tackle well, it's hard to tackle guys. After they have five or six yards of steam running downhill as a running back, but when you keep the thing contained and that nosebleed is stopped, they play better. They play defense as best as better, just as good as anyone that I've seen in the country.
0: I'm um, flipping from the defense uh, to the offense of Penn State. Obviously, the turnovers have to get short up. That's very, very clear. What do you want to see Penn State's offensive identity be the rest of the way? These final four games of the season.
1: I think we saw a nice bit of it today. If I'm going to be completely honest with you, where it was, a, it was a physical run game that was downhill. It wasn't It wasn't a lateral type of situation where it was like a lot of reading. It was like getting downhill with the two running backs and then making plays on the outside, giving the ball to Parker Washington, getting getting uh exotic, getting them in the ball in the middle of the field, and, it, and still implementing those tight ends. I mean, I think that's another case on Penn State's offense that is just extremely uh, promising. Just the physicality of Brenton Strange and uh, Theo Johnson and all those guys that are running around, whether they're athletic enough to catch the big pass and just to be able to block for those running backs and their speed on the outside. So it's just a matter of protecting the football. And I think they, ha- they have the pieces in place to make noise with any team, right? As long as you can stop the run and control the line of scrimmage on the offensive side of the ball and give your quarterback a chance to you know set his feet when it's <laughs> dropping back the pass.
0: That, that would be great. Yeah, I think Sean Clifford certainly needs that. And there, and there admittedly were a couple of things in regards to play calling that you saw Sean Clifford put in situations, whether whether that's from Mike or and him working together that they want to run plays like that. But sprint outs, rollouts to the right where you're seeing Sean Clifford inherently have to throw off his back right foot. And that's not Sean's game and throwing a lot of dangerous passes as a result. Uh, personally, I'd love to see those go away. But I do understand the merit in moving the pocket when you're having issues advancing the ball and you're trying to create some openings and you're trying to... You're, in that scheme, Justin, you're obviously trying to get the defense to uh, to float one direction so that your players can float in the opposite direction and hopefully you find an opening. That's why you're seeing Sean throwing across his body that way. But do you like that as a... That, that was repetitive against Ohio State. Uh-
1: I don't mind rolling out. I do not. I'm not a big fan of throwing across your body, right? Like there's a way of like, there's a way of eating it. You could eat it, run it and throw it out or throw it out of bounds, but throwing behind your body, that's a quarterback's decision. But the rolling out has, I mean, the opposite coordinator's job is to kind of conduct the offense and make sure that the matchups that are weak are protected and the ones that are strong are exposed, right? So like from that standpoint, from him to be able to move the pocket, he has to be able to move the pocket. If he can't stand in the pocket, if he can't stand in the pocket without, taking a blind shot shot or turning the ball over or even a three-step drop and you have a 6-7 defense end and Zach Harrison that gets his hands up and turns an interception. So I think everybody's trying to operate from that space, but the throwing back across the body, uh, yeah, you don't like to see that ever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I used to like it when Brett worry, Favre though. did it when I was on defense, but not. you know. Yeah, that's not, Brett Favre. <laughs> <heard of> that. <laughs> uh, it,
0: you know, Justin, just looking ahead at the remainder of the season, you know, Penn State has gotten through this – Stint in, uh, in October that we knew was coming, you know, Northwestern in a rainy, nasty game. You get a bye week. Uh, you fall in a tough game at Michigan. You're able to beat Minnesota, and then you lose a, a, a closer one than the stat sheet will indicate to Ohio State. So you get out of October 2-2. Two and two. Um, Overall, you're 6-2. and two. Now you're running into this stretch that I mentioned. You're, you're at Indiana, home against Maryland, which is going to be a challenging game. Uh, you're at Rutgers and you're home against Michigan State. Um, zeroing in on next week's game at Indiana. I don't know how much you've gotten to watch of what the Hoosiers are all about, but they're three and five right now, one and four within the conference. Uh but Tom Allen always does a phenomenal job getting his defense ready. What do you expect to see out of Penn State against Indiana?
1: i mean indiana just historically has always played penn state tough right you talk about their coaching they're always well coached in that manner but i do think penn state has the edge from just like we talked from a talent matchup standpoint in general so if they come out and take care of business play the game like they did today limit the turnovers not having those but play the exact same game today without turnovers i think it's a pretty big win
0: fingers crossed on the on the turnover front um Justin, I want to thank you so much for for coming on here. I really appreciate the perspective, obviously talking so much about the defense. Um, in regards to your company, LIG Sports, where can people go to learn more about LIG?
1: Yes, LIG Sports Group is a strategic town acquisition firm on all points of the sports ecosystem at the intersection of sports and business. So uh, you can guys check that out at www.ligsports.com.
0: Appreciate that. Justin, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, Obviously, a disappointing loss for Penn State to the number two team in the country. So there's a lot of positives to take away from this. I still hope that people are not necessarily too doom and gloom after a loss like this. It's 44 to 31. I know it doesn't look good on the scoreboard. I know it doesn't look good on paper. But if you watch this game, there's a lot of positivity for Penn State to take away. The rest of the season. So as I mentioned, this coming Saturday, Penn State is back on the road. They'll be visiting the Indiana Hoosiers. We'll see how that turns out. We will have a full preview episode for you a little bit later on in the week and, of course, a recap after that game goes down. Justin, once again, thank you so much for joining me here on ESPN Radio State College. Thanks for having me. Thank you all so much for joining us. We'll be back on ESPN Radio State College on Mondays and Fridays from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern for the remainder of the Penn State football season. If you want to check out the podcast version of this show presented by the Believe Network, this episode and our entire library of shows is available now on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, let us know what you think of the show on Twitter at ESPN Radio 1037 at McGloin QB11 and at Tom Hannafin. Pater is presented by Bet Online and by Funk Brewing. Thanks again, everyone, and join us next week for more Pater. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.